0: Good morning. Good morning. I'm, you can't hear me? You can't hear me? You can? Okay, great. I'm very grateful to be with you all this morning. You're studying Acts. You're in chapter 13, verses 42 through the end of the chapter. We'll have the verses behind me, but I invite you to, to have it open in your own Bible. I strongly encourage you, whether it's in the bulletin or on your phone, Take one or two notes. Um, when we write things down, it's a better chance they stay, stay with us. I, I Thank you for the, the worship team. I, God made worship. He made worship to be beautiful. And thank you for leading us in beautiful worship. Um, he, is, he is worthy and it's sweet to worship with you all. I can just give you just a, a real quick testimony. As, as Ed said, I'm at Charleston Bilingual Academy. And it's, it's been a very humbling seven years as we go through this passage in Acts. It kind of feels like our story. It might even feel like your Holmes Avenue story of uh, seeing the power of the Lord at work. Seeing wickedness at work. And yet seeing the kingdom go forth. And we started seven years ago with two-year-olds. And those two-year-olds are getting ready to launch our middle school this next year. And a year from now, we are going to need a new facility to put our new middle school in. This next year, we'll have right at 300 students. So it's gone from seven students to 300 students. And really, the desire of the school is to equip children to be Disciples of our Lord Jesus and to be disciple makers of our Lord Jesus. I'm passionate about Christian education. I'm passionate about the church doing discipleship work all week long. Um, and and it's, it's a neat thing. In the future, I'll maybe share some essays with you from our fourth and fifth graders as they're doing a project-based learning project right now, and seeing how Jesus Christ changed the world, and the challenge for them to be world changers, and to see that students can learn to read, write, think critically, analyze science, and understand social studies, and then do it in a way, how do we go proclaim the gospel through that? Education shouldn't be separate from discipleship. It can, be, it can be brought together, and it's, it's powerful if you can read what these fourth and fifth graders are writing right now in our school, and they're doing it in two different languages as we equip them now to be missionaries throughout the world. And, uh, but as we see the gospel grow, it's not without conflict, right? Um, and that's completely resonated in the passage today. My goal today, we're going to start by reading this passage two times through. I'll read it one time. The second time, I'll stop along the way and just give some commentary. It's beefy. We could be here all day. I'm not going to do that to you. Um, so i just make some commentary because in that commentary might lead you to do a further study this week because there's just a lot of rich things that come in those passages we don't have time for today. But what I will then do is take the overall gist of the passage and tie it into that really juicy last verse in this passage. It's really good. I'll leave it as a cliffhanger for a couple minutes, but take the whole gist and tie it together. It's a story. It also brings out many more stories. The reality is we're surrounded in the culture all week long and I would like the next 35 minutes to be a time where you're surrounded by witnesses of the power of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11 and 12 talk about that, right? That surround yourselves with witnesses like those ancient fathers of the faith. Because we're surrounded by culture at work, in your neighborhood, on Netflix. And right now, I want you to be surrounded by witnesses. And we're going to hear a lot of stories. I believe there's power in stories. I believe we're made to enjoy stories. They're captivating. Revelations 12, 11, it says, we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies. It is a good thing to hear powerful stories. It is a good thing. And so I, I hope you are moved by powerful stories. Maybe in some way it's almost like maybe... At times, Moses would gather around a campfire with Israelites and just tell stories of the fathers of the faith. I hope you leave here like you heard some amazing stories of fathers of the faith that encourage your faith in the Father. So let's jump into it. Acts 13. Let me pray and we're going to read through it. Lord Jesus, would your word be powerful to be moving in us a greater hunger for you and a less hunger for this world. I love Debbie's words at the beginning, Lord. May may the the word strengthen our faith to dissipate the fear. If we're honest, we all have fear showing up in different parts of our lives, Lord, and and that fear is fighting the faith. And right now, may you fight back through the power of your word to strengthen our faith and dissipate the fear. We pray that in your name, your powerful name, your present name, your always name, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to read through it twice. As Paul and Barnabas, I'm in verse 42, chapter 13. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further. About these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Take 15 seconds. Think of a couple adjectives that come to your mind as you read that passage. All right, let's read it again. This time I'll stop and little pieces along the way, and I hope this encourages your further study this week because there's a lot of meaty things we won't have time to touch on. As Paul and Barnabas, together, right? They're not individual, they're, they're together. As they're leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. They're hungry. People are hearing the word and it's causing the hunger for the word. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. There, there's momentum gaining. That, that's good, right? There's excitement. I'm sure Paul and Barnabas feel encouraged. They talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Wow. They're probably high fiving. They're saying, come back next Sunday, continue in the grace of God. Many people are following them even after the service. This is good. It's like the story's having this this rising momentum. On the next Sabbath, almost a whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. What if all of Park Circle showed up today? That would be incredibly momentum gaining, right? I'm sure Paul and Barnabas are like, yes, the Lord is finally hearing our prayers for fruit. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy can't have a good movie without some kind of conflict right we have this great rising action and then oh they're filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what paul was saying and they heaped abuse on him i didn't see that coming right as you read the first paragraph you're like this is good this is good this is good are you serious And you might better resonate. There might be seasons in your life where you're like, man, things were just really starting to go well. And then are you serious? The balloon just got popped. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. I think that's pretty interesting, right? I'm sure if you ask these naysayers, they consider themselves worthy of eternal life. Interesting how Paul kind of turned the tables on them here, right? He says, since you're not considering yourselves worthy of eternal life. I, I, I wonder what his point is in saying that. Because he's actually saying truth, but it's probably not truth they expected because they do expect eternal life. I think what he's saying is you're living in a way that you're not focused on eternal life. You're living in a way that you're just focused on your envy right now for what you want right now. And I think that's a good place to set the table for where we'll come back to talk this morning. Where's our mindset? Are we people who, yeah, we think we're worthy of eternal life or we're living for eternal life. But if we are honest, where's our mindset been this whole past week? Because Paul's saying, if, if you're living as though you really think you're living for eternal life, your mindset would be on Jesus and not on your envy. He says, Well, now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. So that's interesting. He's having abuse heaped on him, he's been preaching. And now he's saying, because of your persecution, we're going to go elsewhere. And you'll see in a couple verses, they do indeed go to Iconium. Is that not interesting that sometimes, maybe all the time, God uses the hardships and the persecutions in our lives to do a redirection that he had already planned? Right? Paul's not getting bitter here. He's just saying, all right. Lord, be honored. We're going to follow your commandment. We preach first to you guys, but now we're going to go on to the Gentiles. Sometimes we're like, I've been doing this for the last X amount of years of my life, and I want to just keep doing this. And what if God's bringing a hardship in your life where he's sovereignly doing a redirection for you, for all of you, you as an individual, you as Holmes Avenue. For this is what the Lord had commanded us, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the world. God's got a greater purpose. This gospel is not going to be contained just around Jerusalem and the outskirts of Jerusalem. It's got to go to the ends of the world. And so God's actually using this persecution to keep pushing Paul and Barnabas farther out. Because maybe if that momentum was so good getting, they might have stayed. But that wasn't their calling their calling was to take it to the Gentiles. Peter's going to stay and keep ministering to the, to, the, to the Israelites, the Jewish people. That's not Paul's calling. So Paul's dealing with something different than Peter at this point because God's going to use that persecution to push them, push his message to the ends of the world. Man, wouldn't that give us a more of an open hand the next time we deal with hardship to say, oh, where are you redirecting, Lord? When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who appointed for eternal life to believe. That's worth a study all week as well, that those who believed are the ones God appointed for belief. I read that again this morning, and I've got about three unbelievers in my life. I so desperately want them to come to Christ. And I was like, Lord, would you please be doing the work? I can't persuade them on my own. Are you doing the work to turn their hearts to you? The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. I just love that. There's tension. I don't know if the adjectives you chose, one of them was tension, right? Heaping abuse, but Gentiles were rejoicing. And now the word spreading through the whole region. Verse 50, and then we get the word but again. You you hear this? It's just not, it's not an easy gospel. I wish we could have the happy verses and drop out these conflictive verses. But... The Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. The the, the people that other people respect. We've got to get Paul and Barnabas out of here. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. At this point, they've got to leave. Have you had something so hard in your life, it forced a redirection in your life? And did that leave you bitter, or did that leave you open-handed? So Paul and Barnabas, they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them, and they moved on to Iconium. Remember that cliffhanger a couple minutes ago? This last verse is it's good. And it really pervades this whole passage. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The title of the message today is the unstoppable power of the joyful gospel. They didn't have to say they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit could have just said, Luke, the author, could have just said they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because there's lots of fruits of the Holy Spirit and joy is just one of them. But there's great purpose in why he would take time to say filled and say filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. Because based on these circumstances, I wouldn't expect joy right now. Frustration. Bitterness, anger, upset with God. They were just starting to believe. How are you going to kick us out now? So, I want to dig into this, this idea of joy, fullness of joy, and I want to deal with this idea of fullness of the Spirit. And this is a word not just for you as an individual, this is for a word for you guys that think corporately as the local church, Homes Avenue Baptist. Think both for yourself, but think for you guys as a local church together. So if we can do the next slide, it's going to go through four points on joy. First, joy is a fruit of the Spirit when you walk in the Spirit. I, I think you guys are familiar with Galatians 5, Right? Now, if you remember, Galatians 5 first says, if you walk in the flesh, and it talks about all those things you'd be doing if you're walking in the flesh. But then it says, but if you walk in the spirit, you have the fruits of the spirit. Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, patience, self-control. If you walk in the spirit... Joy is indeed a fruit of the Spirit, and it's such a strong, compelling fruit. The author here wants to say, filled with the Spirit and filled with joy. If you're filled with the Spirit, you will be filled with joy. Second, Jesus wants to give us more of the Spirit. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe you could get more of the Spirit today than you had yesterday? Do you believe that? Do you want that? I get that from Luke 11. Jesus talking to a crowd and Jesus says, Which of you fathers, if your son should ask you for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if your son should ask you for an egg, would give him a scorpion? You, fathers, though being evil, give good gifts to your children. How much more does the Father in heaven Give the Spirit to those who ask. Because the Spirit's eternal, infinite. We can always be filled with more of the Spirit. Right? Did you not see that with Elijah? Has he prayed for Elisha? Give him a double portion. You read the stories of Elisha, how could you get any more of the spirit than Elisha? Elijah. And then Elisha gets a double portion. Are we hungry to walk in the Spirit in such a way that he takes over more and more of our lives, that we would decrease and he would increase? I was reading this morning in my, my own quiet time at John 6, and Jesus talks about hunger for me, the eternal bread of life, more than food. Do we hunger for him like that? Do we want more of the Spirit because the Father wants to give you more of the Spirit? Do you believe that? You can walk in more of the Spirit today than you did yesterday. Number three, more of the Spirit produces more fruits of the Spirit. More fruits means more joy. And the more you live in the Spirit, the more joyful you are, the more you begin to bear the image of Jesus Christ. I'm just building on one, two, and three. I don't think I've said anything that steps out of one, two, and three. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. He wants to give you more of the Spirit. As he gives you more of the Spirit, you will walk with more joy. I want to camp out on the fourth point here. Or really, it's more of a question. How do you know the joy in your life is Spirit-filled joy? So to return to the same language we're already seeing, if we want to have that, like the disciples, be filled with joy and with the Spirit, Romans 8 talks about you can walk in the flesh and you can walk in the Spirit. Walking in the flesh, he says, those who walk in the flesh have their minds set on things of the flesh, and those who walk in the Spirit have their minds set on things of the Spirit. How do you know the joy in your life is Spirit-filled joy? Well, first off, where's your mind Tim Keller quotes a a bishop who says the following. He says, religion, your religion is what you think about when you have nothing to think about. That's a really curious quote, isn't it? What's truly what you are devoted to is when you finally have that moment in your car Kids aren't screaming at you or workers aren't trying to get more of your attention or you're laying in bed at night and you finally a day's over. Nobody's demanding your thoughts. You finally have a chance to think whatever you want to think about. What do you think about? And this theologian would argue, if you find yourself constantly thinking about something, that's probably rele- revealing what your religion is. Do you think about financial stress? When you finally get to think about what you can think about, is it about financial stress? Going back to Debbie's great point at the beginning, does your mind run to fearful thoughts? When you finally have a chance to think whatever you want to think, does it run to fear? Fear about somebody's health? Fear about all the things that seem to be going wrong. The world's just falling apart around you. You can't control it. Fear that you've lost control. Does your mind run to lust? Oh, I wish I had that. Kind of like the Israelites. Envy. I want that. Better house. Better paycheck. Better stock market yields. Lust of the flesh, run to sexual lust. Where does your mind run when you finally get a chance to think for yourself? Because those who walk in the Spirit, according to Romans 8, says your mind will run to things of the Spirit. Does that happen to us? We finally, end of the day, we can think whatever we want. Do our hearts run to the things of the kingdom of God? we walking in the spirit like that or our mind our running to fears? Because the reality is a spirit-filled joy will be joyful in the middle of harsh circumstances. Do you want to know if you have spirit-filled joy? When the next harsh circumstances presents itself in your life, what's your reaction? Because what we see with Paul and Barnabas, they have a very harsh circumstance. They are kicked out. They just built these incredible relationships. They're building disciples. The light is going forth in the Gentiles. And now they are heaped abuses upon them. They're expelled by the leaders of the city. They're kicked out. And it says they are filled with bitterness. Oh, I messed that up. They're filled with joy. What are you filled with as an individual and as a church? in the middle of harsh circumstances. My mind runs to Paul and Silas when they're thrown into that Philippian prison cell. They were harshly beaten. They're chained to walls. I don't know what that looks like. It's midnight. Obviously, they're still awake have to imagine it's because they're hurting so bad and so uncomfortable. What are they doing? Does anybody remember? Yell it out if you remember what they're doing. They're singing. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I don't think singing would be the first thing on my mind. They're singing praises of joy to King Jesus. And what happens? An earthquake. They break out and go preach to the, the warden of the prison. How do you, what's your knee-jerk reaction when you get surprised by bad news, surprised by you thought you had something under control, now it's not, by a harsh circumstance? What's your knee-jerk reaction? Because a true spirit-filled joy is joyful in the middle of harsh circumstances. In a true spirit-filled joy, tying back to having your mind on things of the spirit, it's heaven-focused. And again, I'm going to start sharing lots of stories surrounding us with other people who have heaven-focused mindsets. So your mind is on the kingdom and not on yourself. Hebrews 11, you know that passage. It gives so many great stories of people who who struggled in the Old Testament. It says these, they had faith, right? The faith that pleased God. It says this about them. These all died in faith. They hadn't received the things promised. But having seen them, the promised things of heaven, and greeted them from afar, and acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land, their country here in the world, from which they had left, they could go back. But these heroes of the faith, as it is, they didn't go back because they desired a better country. They desired a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God. When a harsh thing happens, do we say, I just want to run back to my own little kingdom? Or do we say, I open my hands. Are you redirecting? What are you doing, God? It's your kingdom. We're going to be filled with joy, whether it's a good day or a bad day. It's your kingdom. It goes on to say that begin verse or chapter 12, it says, "Therefore, all those people we just talked about, you surround yourself with a cloud of witnesses like that. Let us lay aside every weight, the sin that wants the sin that wants to cling to you, that flesh in you that wants to keep your mind on sinful things. Throw that off and run with endurance the race that's set before you, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You hear that again? Just as Paul and Barnabas were filled with joy and persecution, Jesus is filled with joy even at the cross. How? Despising the shame He's seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father with his mind on what's to come. His mind was on the heavenly things and not on the fleshly things. Do you get excited about the kingdom of God? Do you get excited about the kingdom of God? That's the antidote to bitterness when things are not going well. Because we're not living for this life. We're pilgrims who have left our earthly country and we see from afar glimpses of the heavenly one. And we haven't received all those promises yet, but we persevere, fixing our eyes on Jesus. But how do we do that? Holmes Avenue? We surround ourselves with witnesses. We don't surround ourselves with this culture. We don't surround ourselves with Netflix. We surround ourselves with a cloud of witnesses who have their mind on King Jesus' kingdom. How do you know it's, how can you recognize that the joy in your life is not spirit-filled joy? One, your mind's not on the things of the kingdom. Your mind's on your stress. That's where your mind's at. If your usual mindset is on your stress, then your mindset's not on the kingdom. And that's when you taste joy, it's not a spirit-filled joy. How do you know it's not spirit-filled joy? You complain when harsh circumstances come your way. That's the world's language. Complain when you don't get your way. Complain when you lose control. Complain when you don't know how to solve this new problem in your life. And what is complaining saying? Complaining is you saying, God, you're just not good enough for me right now. Every time we complain, what we're saying is, God, you're not good enough. How we deal with adversity reveals where our true treasure is. How'd you deal with adversity last week? How did I deal with it last week? Adversity reveals our treasure. What if one of the reasons God gives us trials is simply so that we can show the world how great is spirit-filled joy? What if you went into this week and said, if if, if a trial comes this week, just wait, world. (laughs) You're going to see spirit-filled joy. Bring it. Bring a trial. I'm ready. I'm ready. I want the world to see how I respond in a trial because they're going to see joy. The way those disciples did when they left the area and went to Iconium. Bring on a new trial. (laughs) That's kind of what Deuteronomy 8 says. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you into the wilderness these 40 years. We know they like to complain, right? Remember the complaining Israelites? They like to say, God, you're not good enough. We want to go back to that food in Egypt. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you and test you to know what is in your heart. If you experience a trial this week, Holmes Avenue, instead of thinking about your fears about that trial, what if you say, oh, I recognize this. This is what we talked about on Sunday. I'm ready for this. This trial is going to reveal what's in my heart. This is going to reveal complaining, bitterness, stressing out, having to call different people and tell them how upset you are? Find somebody to sympathize with your misery? Post it on Facebook? Give some bad reviews? Or is it going to tell you, hey, here's, we knew it. We knew it was coming. Scripture prepared me for this. Trial, I was waiting for it. It's Wednesday now. Here it comes. Here's a chance. for God to test what's in your heart And then to broadcast to an unbelieving world, that looks different. Spirit-filled joy looks different. You should not be joyful right now. There's no reason you should be joyful right now unless there's something supernatural happening inside of you. James 1 says it this way. Consider it pure joy. I love that word joy, right? It's all over this message. Every verse we read today keeps coming back up. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. This Tuesday, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, perseverance finishes its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All right, it's Thursday morning this week. You didn't expect it. Everything went as you planned. You got rising momentum. It's been a good week. And then, boom, your balloons popped. This is where you remember James 1 and say, this trial God's going to use to work perseverance, which is going to make me mature and complete. So <laughs> I'm going to count this one as joy versus freaking out about my loss of control. All right, so story time. I want my kids to constantly hear stories of faith. Because they're hearing the world around them. I want them to hear. I want to teach my nine-year-old, my eight-year-old, my six-year-old how to surround yourselves with stories of faith. So one, one thing we watch from time to time is a torch lighter series. Anybody here heard of the Torchlighter series? I'm just going to show you a two minute excerpt of Cory Tenboom's cartoon in the Torchlighter series. Now, if you know anything about Corey Tenboom, they were not Jews. They were, it wasn't Germany. They were one of the countries that escapes me right now, probably Netherlands, I don't know, uh, that's taken over by Hitler, the Nazis, and now they're starting to persecute the Jews in that country. I think it's the Netherlands. And the Ten Boom family, who are believers in Christ, are hiding them. They get discovered and they're thrown into the concentration camps. They're all separated. The father, Betsy, the sister, and Corey are all separated. Where you're going to see where this, this video takes place, Corey just found out her father's been killed and she, she thinks she'll never see her sister again. And we're going to see harsh circumstances. And we're going to surround ourselves with a person of faith and how they start to give thanks just when you think it can't get any worse. Let's watch this for about two minutes. your will, and now here I am, locked away and alone. Help me to trust you, to trust that you have not forgotten me. Prisoner 66730, come with me! In the cars. Hurry again. Let me help you. I'll help you up. It's Betsy! Betsy! Let me through! Betsy! It's me! Cory! Cory! Oh, Betsy! I thought I would never see you again. (laughs) Cory! Now that we're together, I am sure I can endure. Anything. Where do you think they have taken us? I don't know, but anywhere is better than here! Anywhere at all! Ladies, welcome to Ravensbrück! Uh, this terrible! There are some empty bunks over there. How could they put more people in here? We're already so overcrowded. Here, Betsy, over here. Help me up, Cory. No, I saw it first. I saw the blanket first. Stop, this is my bunk. Find your own. Ah, don't push. Oh, at last. What, what is this? It can't be. Oh no, Betsy, please. This is the only place where we can rest And it's infested with fleas. What are we going to do? Well, we shall thank God. What? But... Cory, do you recall the verse we read in your little Bible this morning? I... Read it, please. Now? Please. Oh, all right. Here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that... None of you repays evil for evil, but always to do good to one another and to all. I can hardly concentrate. Here, let me. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God through Christ Jesus. You see, Cory, God is telling us what to do, to thank him for all things. Everything? This? The Word of God says all things. Come now, let's pray. Lord. All right, I, that's not American culture right there, right? I want my kids, I want, I want us to be surrounded by witnesses like that. Just when it couldn't get worse, right? They finally lay down, find a bunk, and did you hear what, what was inside the bunk? Did you hear what it was? Fleas. I probably would have lost my mind. And Betsy says, let's give thanks. Remember the scripture, let's give thanks for the fleas. Well, if, if, if you continue this or if you read Corey Tenboom's book, The Hiding Place, you'll find out that that was the, the one lodging place that the German soldiers never went to because they didn't want to mess with the fleas. So that ended up opening the door for Corey and Betsy to lead Bible studies because they were never afraid of the German soldiers coming in because of the fleas. Do you believe God's sovereign over even the annoying fleas in your life? Everything. Count it joy for everything but we're not hearing this on social media. If we don't, Holmes Avenue, if we're not doing what Betsy did for Corey, we're all on our own going to fall victim to bitterness when we lose control. I want to I show one, one more clip. The last two weeks, there's been two different nights where my wife and I actually got the kids down on time and we actually didn't have tons of work to do. So, we wanted to watch something. So, we watched over two nights this movie called Sabina. It's produced by the organization Voice of the Martyrs. There's another version, or there's another movie they made two years ago called Tortured for Christ. And both movies are about the story of Richard Wormbrandt. Richard Wormbrandt is one of my heroes. He had a dramatic conversion to Christ, and she became a believer. And he ended up being a pastor in Romania, both during German occupation and then during the Cold War and Soviet occupation. He was in prison for 14 years. Three of those years were solitary confinement. And you can actually go by and read a book of what he meditated on in those three years of solitary confinement. Where does your mind go when you can think your own thoughts and read where his mind went? I won't tell you the whole story of Richard Wormbrandt today, but I'll show you a trailer for this movie. Because again, if I get a little moment in life where I can watch something, sometimes it's good to watch something like this because it's gonna push us to surround ourselves with clouds of witnesses. This is just a trailer to the movie Sabina. All our lives, right, now we're Jews only. Christian, really. You are now man and wife. Zinzi Zabina von brand. Mother Nid Bremer. And to no spirit in To Pia de noi To Hitler. And Mussolini all the verses in the Bible that tell us not to be afraid of.: I think I might need to lead a all of that. It's a spectacular story, extremely well made, and it's going to push you to think about a lot of things in your life as you surround yourself with witnesses. I have more stories. I'll save them for the next time. I'd like to conclude by saying walk in the Spirit. To be full of the Spirit, to be full of joy like Paul and Barnabas, walk in the Spirit. And you can't do it alone. You have to do it together. Surround yourselves with witnesses whose minds and hearts aren't on their earthly kingdoms, but their passion is for the kingdom of Jesus Christ to go forward. Surround yourself with people like that. Surround your kids and your grandkids with people like that. You don't have to give in to the tsunami of American culture. You decide who you're surrounding yourself with. And if there's things in your life that lead you To walk in the flesh, shows you watch, things you look at, social media you engage in, friends that lead you to just complain. Think about some redirections. Walk in the Spirit. Surround yourself with others who walk in the Spirit and allow for your joy to be tested. Be okay with a trial this week. Don't hold control so tightly. Be okay for a trial this week that will test your joy. I had a test on Friday. Didn't like it. We're trying so hard to hire all of our teachers for next year. And as you know, in a school, that's the most important part. (laughs) It's having amazing teachers to make disciples out of the kids. And a great teacher just let me know that they they can't come back next year because of something that happened in their lives. That's a trial for me. (laughs) How do I bless Jesus' name when I just lost control over something very important? Be okay with your joy being tested this week. Be okay saying glorify yourself through this mess. And I'll say this, Holmes Avenue Baptist, if you do, if you do walk in the Spirit, if you do surround yourself with others who walk in the Spirit, if you do allow your joy to be tested, you will be joy-filled and you will be Spirit-filled. And the kingdom will go forward. Holmes Avenue, the kingdom can grow and advance here. It can. God is a God of growth. He is a God who is moving his kingdom forward. And I believe with all my heart, he wants to continue to move the kingdom forward here. Walk in the Spirit. Walk with others who walk in the Spirit. Allow your joy to be tested. Surround yourselves. In scripture, surround yourself. A year ago, I read through the Bible each year, and I'm in, I just got into Joshua again, which means it was a year ago I was in Joshua. What's very dangerous is read the book of Joshua and drink an espresso at the same time. There should be a caution on that. You will get extremely pumped up at 5.30 in the morning. So I read it. I got so excited. I, I went upstairs when it was t- finally time for me to wake my son up, <laughs> full of caffeine, I stand at the top of the stairs and I said, arise, man. The world awaits righteous men to take it by storm. He's like, what? Just about every day for the last 365 days, that's how I wake him up now. I want to surround my son with Joshua's. I want us at Holmes Avenue, at Friendship Baptist, Charleston Bilingual Academy. Let's do it. Let's let's do it. Let's do it. Let's let go of that kingdom that we've left. Let's, let, let's stop looking at the rear view mirror. And let's live aflamed for the kingdom of God to go forward in our lives. And allow our lives to be tested. Because when we're filled with joy and we're filled with the spirit, his kingdom will go forward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Thank you for Corey Tenbooms and Betsy Tenbooms in this world. Thank you for Richard and Sabina Wormbrantz in this world. Thank you for our friends here today. Lord, surround us. Surround us. Just remove us from this Disney World kind of mindset of the American dream. Surround us with a greater passion for an eternal kingdom of the great King Jesus, who's our always. Surround us with people who witness your goodness. And we say to each other, Arise, man. Arise, woman. This world is waiting for righteous men and women to take it by storm. Move your kingdom forward, Lord Jesus. And if there's a place this morning for some of us just to confess that our mindsets on our own stresses and not on the freedom of your kingdom to redirect and move us wherever you want, may we confess and may tomorrow be a new day. May we say it the The cry of our hearts is your kingdom to go forward because you are worthy. May we not be like those God-fearing men and women who went against Paul and said and lived the lives that were as though they don't believe they're worthy for the eternal life. May we live as though what matters is the eternal life. That's what matters tomorrow. That's what matters. And nothing can separate us from that. In your name, Jesus. Amen.